back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. And on today's July 1st edition of the show, we will be discussing the Knicks' uh, impressive haul in NBA free agency. Um, Keaton, what would you think of that? Outstanding. You know, it really was impressive. All the best laid plans. But no, seriously, uh, on today's podcast, we are going to be talking about the London series, uh, as well as the bullpen, um, which is basically an evergreen topic for us at this point. Um, And we'll touch on some other things, some all-star game stuff, some injury concerns, and of course, the best part of the show, we will answer your listener questions. Um, Full disclosure, Keaton. I spent the entire weekend in the woods doing bad things. Um, I was at a wedding, uh, and I was just basically drinking the entire time. So I missed all of the London series, every single bit of it. Didn't watch a single bit of the game. I listened to like three innings of baseball on the radio while I was driving back today, Um, but really nothing. So you're going to be my eyes and ears for what happened during the London series. I've already seen the results, um, and those were not (laughs) nice. Um, So that clearly wasn't a positive. But I want to start us off with uh, asking you this question. What non-game-related things did you like about it, and what uh, did you dislike about it? I'll start with what I didn't like. Um, I was trying to find this earlier. I couldn't figure out who was uh, Joe Buck's color commentary guy on Saturday, but... The amount that he was uh, comparing baseball to cricket and just in general talking about cricket, it was it just sounded so forced and was so annoying. And I, I mean, I can kind of get it to an extent because there was a large portion of that game where it was 14 to 6, 15 to 6, or whatever the score was. Some it was very score. Lo- right. It was very <laughs> lopsided and there was a lot of time to fill. And I don't envy announcers when they just basically have to try and fill an incredibly boring game. It was off to a real hot start, and it had a real hot finish, but there was some time in there in the middle where it was it was real tough. So I, I guess I don't blame them for trying to fill, but there was, there was just so much cricket talk, which I'm sure is a wonderful sport. Actually, one of my friends here in Chicago plays on a local cricket team. They won the championship last year, so congrats to you all. I don't understand it. And I was there to watch baseball, and it, there was just, like, I don't, I, it was going to be inevitable to, uh, like, avoid mentioning it, particularly with the Cricket World Cup being there, but it was, like, innings worth of cricket talk, which I just didn't care for. So, <clears throat> here's my question. Was that, um, was that same broadcast being, being brought to English people as well, or... Like, was that for them, or was that uniquely for Americans, as if you guys cared at all about how it was similar to cricket? My understanding was that was just the American one. I believe the British one, at least I saw some re- like replays of things on Twitter uh, with that had a British broadcast. So I assume that the there was a separate British broadcast, but I may be wrong on that. Huh. Yeah, at least that would be like defensible, right? If they were trying to, you know, relate the game. But yeah, that does seem like that would be very irritating. Yeah. Uh, what I did like, um, I enjoy these like uh, putting the game in other country kind of stuff. Um, I know that uh, some people don't really understand it or kind of like wonder why we do it. Like the preseason series that they've been doing over in Asia, I think is really cool. This was a bit different because this was like a regular season game right in the middle of the season. But in general, taking the game to other places I think is really cool. Like uh, European soccer teams come over to the United States all the time, which I think is really neat because um, it's a you know, growing sport here. I'm a big soccer fan. It's nice to um, – Chicago is a common destination too, so I get to see some European soccer teams here, which is fun. Um, so, if, I mean, if there's an audience for baseball uh, and we're trying to grow the sport and – you know, keep interest and, um, you know, expand the international market. I think it's cool. Uh, and for to have like a massive audience there uh, and, you know, sell out a couple games, that's cool. 
Yeah, I, I thought the fans really responded well. Um, obviously, like I said, I didn't get to see it, but I did get to hear about the attendance figures, and it seemed like um, they packed London Stadium both days, and no one left at any point. I mean, it wasn't like um, you know when the game started to get a little bit lopsided. Clearly, there was a, a little bit of a comeback by the Red Sox in each of these games, uh, both comebacks falling short, and we'll talk about that later, but... You know, they, they maintained that figure of 59,000 people uh, throughout the entire time in the ballpark. So that is pretty cool. Yeah, one cricket-related thing that was interesting, that was one of the first things that they mentioned. I didn't realize this, but I guess if a cricket ball goes into the stands, they'd have to throw it back. And so they had been making several announcements over the PA system and all posted everywhere throughout the facility that if a baseball goes in the stands, you get to keep it. And so they kept showing the reaction of all the fans that, like, caught foul balls, and they were all, like, super pumped about it, which was just so genuine and awesome. That was really cool. The one that I've seen is the uh, the, old the older dude with, like, the, the beer. Yeah, but yeah. the beer has a handle. It's it's, yeah. like, it's like a plastic handle to hold a solo cup. That uh, seemed pretty helpful. Yeah. I imagine when you're trying to, like, juggle a beer and catching a ball that that comes in real handy. I like the the idea that European fans just cannot deal with a with a beer cup without a handle on it though. Like everything has to be a stein, even if it's like a makeshift stein. <laughs> <laughs> they know what they're doing. They do. They do. Um, I know all of our friends over at Bat Flips and Nerds that podcast over there, um, John and Tom and all those guys um, looked like they were just having the time of their lives over there so it's just awesome for all british baseball fans who don't usually get to see this stuff and you have to be kind of a pretty hardcore fan to keep up with all this stuff in a country where uh you're not getting live baseball really ever until this point so i thought it was a really cool reward for all those people who had uh, been following the sport in sort of a cult way for I don't know, 10 years now, it seems like it's, there's some people been following even longer over there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to see that MLB is trying to tap into that market. Cause I think it's a pretty good one. Yeah, I agree for sure. And it was neat to see, um, Jessica Mendoza pointed it out today, but, um, Didi Gregorius being a European born player playing in Europe and all the support that he had from, uh, European fans that were there just to see him because he was born in the area. That's really cool. That is cool. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Uh, Mookie Betts was the top-selling jersey throughout the London series. Does that surprise you at all? No, it does not. Yeah, I, I don't think I was surprised either. I guess one of the things that they were saying was that um, they just really liked the name Mookie. That was one of the big drivers <laughs> is they just thought that was a cool name. It is a cool name. It is. That doesn't surprise me. That seems like something that uh, English folks would be really interested in. A guy named Mookie. That's awesome. Plus, he's really good and won the MVP. So, <laughs> The other thing British fans were uh, really impressed with, um, and this is also from the broadcast I was listening to, uh, was runners being stuck in a pickle. Um, they called it the back and forth thing. Um, and apparently <laughs> English people really enjoy the pickle experience. Well, I got to see one today, and uh, Jackie Bradley was able to get out of it and uh, advance to second. Yeah, and they loved it. Um, but all in all, we have to talk about the baseball side of things. I know I didn't want to, um, but <laughs> uh, neither of these games went well for the Red Sox. Um, June 29th, that was the Saturday game. Yankees end up winning that one 17-13, just outslugged them. Neither starter was able to even last the full inning. Tanaka gave up six. Uh, Porcello gave up six. Uh, and then it was to the bullpen. Uh, Mike Schwarin got absolutely obliterated, eight earned runs in that one. Cortez similarly obliterated for five, um, but at least he did it over three innings. Schwarin needed just a little over one to give up eight earned runs. Um, not a very impressive performance. What were your takeaways from the uh, Saturday game? Yeah, well, uh, I'll start with what I liked. Uh, Michael Chavis, which I'm sure will shock you. Uh, boy, can he hit a baseball. And I just love watching him hit baseballs. Doesn't matter where he is. Could be over in Europe. He's still hitting bombs and home runs. But uh, 
I mean, the I will say the fight from the Red Sox to come back and make that a game. I mean, at one point in the eighth inning, they had the bases loaded, the tying run at the plate, which is something <laughs> a couple innings ago you wouldn't have anticipated being the scenario. Um, so for them not to give up and to continue to fight, given what the score was at one point, seventeen to six, I mean that that is impressive. So I'm that I'm happy to see that. I I agree with you. Um, that is impressive. Uh, also for once, you know, six for thirteen with runners in scoring position. That is respectable, right there. That's kind of what you're supposed to do. I wonder though how long this offense is going to be able to continue to do this because offense has not really been the the major issue for this club, but it's got to be incredibly deflating to constantly be in these giant holes, even as an offensive player going up there. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And it, it begs the question too. And I wonder if this is, it's worth having a discussion. I don't know if you feel it's worth criticizing Cora over, but after the fourth inning, um, the score was twelve to six, and Cora made a bunch of changes to the lineup. Put Marco Hernandez in for Devers. Pulled Bogarts out for. Uh, put Nunez in for Bogarts. Uh, put Travis in for Benintendi and Leon um, in for Holt. And then we had Christian Vasquez playing third. Uh, well, that's fun. Yeah, and then in the eighth inning when. Uh, the bases were loaded, tying run at the plate. What would have been Devers and Bogarts at bats turned into Marco Hernandez and Eduardo Nunez, and neither of them got a hit. Yeah, I think that's worthy of criticism. That's a great point. Um, I mean, you're talking about a, a baseball venue where it's 385 to center field. I don't think assuming that you're out of a game from an offensive standpoint is ever a good idea in that sort of area. And there had already been so many runs scored that I think Cora should have had a sense as to what the run scoring environment was like. And unless those guys were banged up, um, well, you know what, let's just assume that they weren't because they were in the lineup to start off with. Um, I think that those should have gone to your key contributors, those at bats. Yeah. I think Bogarts, he did pull up at some point with a bum something. Um, I think that was today, right? Because he got pulled out today. He got replaced by Marco Hernandez uh, after his third at-bat today. So maybe that was today then, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's weird because after the game today, I took a nap, so I feel like there's been a whole other day since the game this morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so that was probably it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I mean, Devers has been on an absolute terror. Bogarts, his, uh, we, we have documented his success this year. Uh, at length, and to have those guys on the bench in game tying at bats against the Yankees, that hurts. And yeah. I understand that it was the fourth inning, uh, but that's that seems too early to make those moves. Those seem like maybe you're down six plus in the eighth. Sure, take him out for a couple of innings of defensive work, but to pull him in the fourth, they still had probably three at-bats left in the game at that point, um, the way that it shook out. I mean, and at least they had two if it just went, you know, like one, two, three the rest of the game. So you took, you know, a minimum of two at-bats off their plate. And like you said, I mean, it was 330 to the corners, 385 to center. Um, and the way that the ball was carrying, I mean, there was what, – what's to say that they couldn't have gotten back in there at that point? Yeah. I agree. That's Especially since they had already come back from one six-run lead. They, let's just say they couldn't have done it again. So today's uh, game, let's move on to today's. Today's uh, loss started off. We were recording this on a Sunday after almost every baseball game has, has finished up here. Um, there's still just the Sunday night game to go. But um, today's loss was a more typical Red Sox loss of this year, uh, one where the Red Sox went up 4 to nothing in the first inning. Um, but then the Yankees had a massive nine-run seventh inning to storm back and take the lead, uh, which they would never relinquish for the rest of the game. Um, this one sits pretty well on the shoulders of uh, Marcus Walden, who just got 
obliterated, and then Matt Barnes came in and got obliterated right after him. Um, this speaks to the problems in the bullpen that we've been talking about for weeks now at this point, and that I criticized Dombrowski for this week uh, on an article on Over the Monster. Um, this is it's such an apparent Achilles heel for this team. Things need to change, and I don't know how it's going to at this point. Neither do I. This game, yeah, I mean, it spun on the seventh inning. And you score eight runs, you should win. And particularly, you score 13 runs like they did on Saturday, you should win. These were two games that they should have won, but the pitching let it get out of hand. And the pitching, both the starting and relieving, needs to be better. And that was really kind of the the sentiment that Cora echoed in his post-game comments was just that they need to play better. He's been saying that for a while, and it just hasn't happened. And it's clear that it's not going to come from within the organization. It needs to come from somewhere outside. They need to start making deals now and getting ahead of it. They can't sit and wait for this to get better because they've been waiting for it to get better since the first week of the season, and it hasn't. So, I mean, at some point, you just need to bite the bullet and get some fresh blood in here and... Whether that's a starter or a reliever, I'm really torn on um, when Evaldi comes back, how he should be used. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. Um, I think that all depends on what Dave Dombrowski is able to do between now and then. Um, he's not supposed to come back till sometime around the All Star break, and especially with all the setbacks that he's had. Um, it seems like it's not going to be until then. And even if he does come back before then, he's not going to be coming back in a starter's role right away. So I guess you see how things shake out and how things uh, stabilize. I still like him best as a starter. And I think that that's your best version of your baseball club when you're using Nate Eovaldi for um, multi-inning stints, you know, hopefully five, six innings, something like that. Um, however, we saw what he can do out of the bullpen uh, last year, but I'm not sure that that's the best way uh, to utilize him for this ball club as it's currently constructed. But I just don't know. I don't know that it's even going to matter whether or not he's a starter or a reliever right away unless those other holes are filled, though, because when you have guys like Marcus Walden and Matt Barnes being unreliable, and they have been unreliable to both of them now for several weeks, Matt Barnes's ERA is all the way up to 493 at this point, which is worse than that of uh, Colton Brewer and Ryan Brazier, guys that you know haven't had the best of seasons. Uh, that's a really, really bad sign. What are your thoughts on Eovaldi? Yeah, I think I kind of go back and forth on it. I think the fifth spot in the rotation to me is still incredibly important because of the trickle-down effect that it has on the rest of the rotation and the lineup because they can avoid having that stupid bullpen day and putting more stress on the relievers by having someone lock down that fifth starter's role and get through five to six innings every fifth day. But at the same time, the bullpen is so terrible that if he can be as effective as he was in the bullpen, you know, the second half of the season last year, that may be where he's needed most. But I think you're right. I think it depends on what they can get leading up here to the trade deadline. You know, if they can't get a fifth starter, then he should be the fifth starter. At this point, I don't give a crap what they're paying him. $17 million, I don't care if he's starting or if he's blocking down a spot in the rotation. Whatever's going to win games. I want to pay him $17 million to win games. So throw that price tag out the window as long as we get wins. So I don't I don't want to hear the $17 million for an eighth inning guy. I don't care. If he gets us in for wins or if he closes and gets us wins, then it's, he's worth the price tag. So... But if they can't get a fifth starter, then I think that's where he should be. If they struggle finding a second arm in the free agent market to add to the bullpen, then I think maybe that's where he should be. If Brian Johnson can hold down the fifth starter spot, fine. Or um, maybe he ends up just being a kind of a combination of both. Yeah, and that's another thing. He's pretty comfortable, it seems like, uh, moving back and forth between those two roles. So <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily have to be just one of those. I think it is important that we look at the broad picture, though, for the Red Sox, and we got a 
tremendous amount of listener questions on this today. Um, but where the Red Sox stand right now, they're only they're forty four and forty. They're barely over five hundred at this point. Um, they're eleven games back in the New York Yankees after this series. They are not going to catch the Yankees this year. Um, the Yankees are a much better baseball team than the Red Sox are currently. Let me ask you a question though. Yeah. Who do you think, by fangraphs, mm-hmm. which team has the better batting war, the Red Sox or the Yankees? I would guess the Red Sox. They do. Yeah. They are fourth, and the Yankees are eighth. The Yankees do not hit for average as a lineup. They just simply slug the shit out of the ball. Entire pitching staff, starters and relievers. Who do you think has the higher war, the Red Sox or the Yankees? The Yankees. Red Sox. Hmm. Red Sox as an entire unit are fourth, and the Yankees are eighth. The uh, starters for the Red Sox are fifth, and the Yankees are 13th. And the relievers for the Red Sox are sixth, and the Yankees are fourth. So the relievers are a little bit better. Red Sox starters are significantly better by war and fan graphs, but yet the Red Sox just can't put it together. That is baffling, is it not? Yeah, to some degree, but I think a lot of that is situational baseball, you know, in the, in, in the situations that the Red Sox have had opportunities to close things out, they have had 17 blown saves, which is tops in the American League. So, you know, yep, when you're looking at it, it in pure numbers, uh, Yankees have scored 476 runs to this point this year. Red Sox have scored 463. That's basically right there. You know, that's who cares? That's a negligible difference. But when you look at runs against, it's 371 for the Yankees versus 417 for the Red Sox. And it feels like a lot of those 417 have come in places where the Red Sox were in the lead. Imagine just having half of those back as wins, just having eight of those. They would be uh, 52 and 32, and they would be three games behind the Yankees. Yeah, you would be right in contention, and we would not be having this discussion right now. Just half of them. Half of them. Just asking them to be half as bad. (laughs) And and if we're looking at it, though, Keaton, um, where this puts the Red Sox right now, they're two games out of the second wild card spot. Um, They're not trending in the right direction. They're behind the Texas Rangers, the Cleveland Indians, the Oakland Athletics, teams that are certainly not going away. And then a team like the Los Angeles Angels are right on their heels. Um, the Red Sox cannot continue to play baseball like this. Uh, they need to get better, and they need to get better quickly. And that means that Dave Dombrowski needs to get on the phone and start making some deals. But we did get, I think, the most interesting listener question that we've gotten in a while from Annie. Um, who says, will getting another bullpen arm or two now save the season, or are guys in the pen already too overworked to be salvaged? And I think this is a very legitimate question right now because we know the workload that has been put on guys like Barnes and Walden and you know, other key members of that bullpen. We haven't even talked about Brandon Workman, who's had a tremendous workload as well. Um, he's been able to kind of... Uh, be a stabilizing force throughout this whole thing. He's been the most consistent guy in that, that bullpen, but everybody has been overworked. Uh, does it, is it going to matter to get two arms or are these guys shot now? Like, do they get it back? I think it will help depending on who it is that they get, because I know if they end up going with some of like the middle tier targets from, um, your list of targets that we did a couple pods ago. Um, a lot of those guys aren't built for heavy workloads, but some of the top tier guys are, and they could probably get one of those. And if they do, that'll be a huge help. They had two days off before the London series. They've got two days off again. Now they basically have like a mini series and then they have the all-star break. So they have a ton of days off really condensed right here that a lot of other teams don't. And so if they can add another arm, who's been a workhorse relief arm before, who can actually manage a strong work innings workload, coupled with the this extended rest here that they get this over this two-week stretch, that can be a huge help to them. 
part of what caused them to be so overworked was they did play a bunch of extra games right in a row because they were leading up to this London series. I think they have like five games in hand on a whole bunch of other teams because they had all these extra days off. So part of it was they didn't have normal days off um, that other teams got. And now they're kind of getting that back now. Uh, And it's well-placed to be uh, followed up by the All-Star break where they're going to get extended days off again as well. So I think that if they can add one of those top-tier pieces who uh, can handle a strong innings workload along with someone else who can just uh, fill in. That's why I think we, we keep coming back to adding two arms. That's massively important because one just isn't going to do it. They need two, and one of those has to be a guy who can handle a workload, uh, which is typically a closer. Whoa, what a novel idea. Yeah, you know, we had a pretty good one of those. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this guy uh, who the Red Sox had and then didn't re-sign, Craig Kimbrell. Um, But yeah, I agree with you, Keaton. And I think your point is really well made that the time to do it is now while the Red Sox have all this time off coming up. Because you're right, they did play a terrible schedule in the first half to make, make way for this whole London experience. Um, and if you can get a guy, I don't know, let's call him Will Smith uh, on the <laughs> roster. Uh, what a generic name. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you can get him on the roster right now and then have all that time to rest this unit and maybe get a guy like Matt Barnes right, maybe don't pitch Matt Barnes for a while. I mean, hell, give him an IL stint. I don't care. Just don't use these guys for a while. Um Use other arms. You're absolutely right. The second half of the season is favorable enough um, to these guys schedule-wise that if you get those two arms in here, I think that they'll be fine. And I think that you need to do this now. You can't wait Um, because things are starting to get away. Things are starting to unravel. And the thing that you really don't want to do is not add anybody between now and the All-Star break and then go into the all-star break using Matt Barnes and Marcus Walden just as much as you were beforehand. And John Henry had some very pointed comments uh, prior to the London series about he was, a. it came off. I mean, he didn't explicitly say it, but he did he made a comment. Um, Rob Bradford wrote about it. It was posted today on WEI. I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but it was essentially like, um, some people think it's okay to bring back the same team that won the World Series. Um, I don't. But uh, when you win, that changes some mentality. Or like bringing back the same team year after year. Uh, I don't like doing that. But when you win, that changes the thought process apparently. And it was very pointed at Dombrowski that you didn't make any changes and you needed to. And now we're here sleeping in our own bed. And we're not real happy about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if there is a little bit of friction between those two in the job that Dombrowski uh, did this offseason. And um, I criticized Dombrowski pretty heavily in an article uh, on Over the Monster this week uh, entitled Dombrowski Deserves Our Criticism for his inaction during this offseason because of the hole that it has put the breast of the bullpen. And we've talked about all these guys being overworked. This bullpen would not be overworked if you had another arm or two quality arms in there uh, throughout the entire first half of the season. Do you agree with my assessment that Dombrowski deserves criticism for what he did in the offseason this year? Wholeheartedly, yeah. And I think that was something that um, I know you and I had talked about when um, really kind of like around the winter meetings, I think, is when a lot of this started with, uh, I would say, most Red Sox fans. Uh, we're looking at this bullpen and kind of going, what the hell are we going to do with this? There is maybe something to playing the, I think Matt made the point on this very podcast before um, I took over for him, I guess, that uh, playing the matchups is fine. Uh, the analytics show that that works, but there's nothing wrong with locking down the ninth inning and taking that off the board completely, no matter what the matchups are. Now, your starter goes sixth, and instead of trying to patch together seven, eight, nine, 
you have all these guys in your bullpen to just patch together seven and eight. And it's pretty clear that they cannot figure out how to get the last three innings done. And maybe with someone uh, who can take the ninth off the board, Walden, Brazier, Barnes, Schwarren, whoever, can fit two innings together. But it's pretty clear they can't get three. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that that's that's a point well taken. And I think it's very easy, especially in sabermetric circles. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in sabermetrics. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And they're valuable. But there is something to defining roles for guys. And baseball players have talked at length about um, – comfort and knowing what their role is in that mattering. And it could be frustrating at times when Kimbrell didn't want to be used for, you know, four or five outs or something like that. Um, I didn't like that about him, but I still think that having somebody who knows that, you know, 99% of the time, the ninth is mine is comforting to baseball players and it's comforting to the rest of the team. And I think that Confidence grows when you know what your role is. And I think this is true in really any walk of life. If you have a job where your role is constantly changing, you're not going to be confident every day. Um, but yeah, some that's when we forget, I think, some of the human aspects of baseball that are so important to a team achieving at a high level. And teams are doing a tremendous amount of research into that human component. But like, I think that was the big difference Cora made last year was – he was so good at the human side of baseball and this year guys just haven't had defined roles and it has been uh, very difficult for the bullpen to succeed without those defined roles. Yeah. And it's, it's totally different when you have, you have like the heart of the order coming up in the eighth and you have a bullpen like the Yankees. Okay. Maybe throw Kimbrough or uh, Chapman in the eighth because you have Ottavino and Batantis who legitimately could be like top five closers on any other team or Zach Britton, who was a top five closer on another team. Right. (laughs) (laughs) To to close out the ninth. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to like last year for the Red Sox. They didn't have anybody else that could be like a legitimate closer to come in and pitch the ninth and make sure you had it all shut down. Like the Astros the past couple of years, they've had two or three guys who could be legitimate closers on other squads. So their bullpen has been pretty formidable for a consistent number of years now. But to say that like we have multiple guys who could be closers in like Brazier and Barnes, because we literally don't have anybody else. is just, we're lying to ourselves. Yeah, I agree. It's not great. So Dave needs to get to work. That is for damn sure. We're going to transition here for a second. Um, We're also going to take a quick break um, for a word from our sponsor. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, all-star game a little bit and uh, a little bit of injury news before we get some listener questions. Okay, welcome back. Um, So, Devers, Bogarts, and Chris Sale will not be members of the all-star team. Um, however, uh, Mookie Betts and JD Martinez did make it as reserves. Um, I'm of the opinion that Betts really didn't deserve it this year. I, I think he's been good, but I don't know if he really deserved it. Um, I thought that Bogarts 100% deserved it. I was, I thought that Devers and Sale kind of should have made it, but I wasn't hugely upset, um, but I think if you were to take two guys who should have been on the team, it was Bogarts and Martinez who should have been there. I agree. Um, I think I kind of agree with you that Mookie was probably borderline. I don't think Sale should have been on there. That one I'm not real surprised about. But Bogarts and Devers not being reserves is pretty shocking. Yeah. Um, you know, there <laughs> there's so many frustrating things about Bogarts. Um, not being on this and um, I think the most frustrating to me is the fact that you know he leads all American League shortstops in war Um, he's you know just about tops of every list um, aside from Alex Bregman who's obviously just 
incredible. But, um, you know, he's tops in so many different categories. And, you know, Bregman is a third baseman, essentially, most of the time. So um, amongst all other full-time shortstops, uh, Bogarts is basically the top offensive guy in the entire league. And it makes it just so frustrating that, the voting didn't work out that way for him. And I don't know how much you care about these things, Keaton. Like some people, I know Matt is like this. He's just like, whatever about that. But, um, Bogarts right now tops in the American league in home runs, uh, runs RBI on base percentage, slugging OPS, WRC plus and uh war, like I mentioned. So it's pretty hard to, to look at that one and see him not get the nod. Yeah, that was the biggest, uh, I don't want to say gut punch because it's just the all-star game, but, I mean, you want to get recognized for a good season, and it's kind of shocking that he wasn't, like, to to say that he got snubbed from being a reserve is, like, not even enough. He got snubbed from being the starter. Yeah, I know. He's not even going to be on the team. Um and he should be the guy starting at shortstop. You're absolutely right. And there are other guys that had good seasons. You know, I'm not going to take anything away from Marcus Simeon or Jorge Polanco or, you know, other deserving guys. But at the end of the day, like, Bogart simply went out there and has been the most consistent player. And the other thing here is Bogarts has played in 81 games this year, um, including today. So he's also just maintaining his crazy durability like usual. Yeah. Very frustrating. Um, I wasn't as upset that Devers didn't make it because the field there for a third baseman is just crazy. You know, Matt Chapman and Alex Bregman and uh, the way that DJ LeMahieu has been playing this year. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys there that certainly deserved it. So he, that one didn't bother me as much, despite how much we've loved his performance. Yeah, third base for the American League might be the deepest position in the American League. I'm trying to rapidly think on the top of my head if there's one deeper, but I don't think there is. It's stacked. It is massively stacked. Yeah, and I'm also happy uh, on a side note, and I know you you appreciate this too, but that Matt Chapman was able to go out and basically uh, repeat the performance that he had last year, if not having a better season uh, than he did last year, because... Um, yeah, Keaton and I also do some work over at the Dynasty Guru, and uh, that was one of the the, the off season chats that uh, was very polarizing. Is where to rank Matt Chapman? Yeah, I actually at the end of the year I did a, a little write up on uh, valuing him for 2019 and beyond, and I was uh, very aggressive with my valuation. So I'm glad that that's paying off. <laughs> yeah, he's so fun to watch. Just his defense is incredible. I feel like it used to be shortstop, but now it's kind of shifted to third base. But if you have like an elite defender at third base, there's no better position to watch someone like just make a terrific play than third base now. I'm with you. I've always been a huge fan of the hot corner. My favorite position in baseball. Um, all right. Last thing before we get to listener questions, uh, Andrew Benintendi, uh, also dealing with a little bit of, uh, leg fatigue. Uh, he's got a little bit of a lingering quad issue, kept him out of the game today as well. Um, he's been getting a little additional time off. Do you have any concerns about this going forward? Because that is going to expose a little bit of the Red Sox, uh, lack of depth there, um, forcing guys like JD Martinez who really don't want to be playing the field to play the field more than they would like to that is a good question um i think any time that someone is continually being pulled out of games for soft tissue stuff that's not great because those don't go away easily hopefully all this time off here helps that um but yeah i guess i'm not in yeah i guess that would qualify me as worried if i'm not exactly sure how to qualify my feelings i guess that means i'm worried (laughs) Yeah, and I think what's particularly troubling is, like I said about J.D. Martinez not wanting to play the field right now because of the back injury stuff that he's been dealing with this year, that has forced them to do things like they did today with playing Sam Travis in left field. And uh, when you're looking at the difference between uh, Benintendi and Martinez, uh, you know, 
whatever. But the difference between Benintendi and Travis, um, that is substantial. Yeah, a little bit. It'd be nice to have, I mean, it'd be nice to have depth anywhere. (laughs) Yes. Oh, again, thanks, Tombo. Yeah. Um, All right, let's move to our listener questions. Uh, Our first one comes from Dominic Leduc, uh, who says, bullpen again. Yes, bullpen again. Uh, I don't know if we can elaborate on that one anymore, but yeah, we feel you, man. It's it's rough, and I know uh, Dominic is a big Porcello fan too, so uh, he had his feelings hurt on Saturday, just like I did. Uh, our next question comes from Frankie P, and he says, "This London uh, Yankees slash London series was just a, gr- a dream, correct?" Keaton, was it? I mean, to me, it was. I was. It was completely not real for me. Well, it was real, but with the exchange rate. I don't think the losses count as like a full loss. Okay. I like that. Um, do we get any sort of like Brexit factoring into this? Or? <laughs> um, yeah. Can we just like Brexit the <laughs> losses and just not count them? <laughs> yeah, sure. I like that. Uh, longtime listener, uh, Eric J. Alves. Uh, asks a, a very interesting question, I think. He says, twofold, do the Red Sox consider making Eovaldi into a closer for this season? And if not, who can the Red Sox trade to not completely weaken the roster but get valuable help back? Um, Keaton, I'm going to ask you the first part here. Um, yeah. Do you think that if they aren't able to go out and get somebody like a Will Smith or something like that, um, that – Eovaldi could serve in that role as a lockdown closer. I would absolutely consider it. Yeah. Kind of like we talked about before, I think it depends on how things shake out as we approach the trade deadline. But if they can't land anything, then yeah, I'd say I would feel better about Eovaldi closing and Brian Johnson as the fifth starter than what they have now and Eovaldi as the fifth starter. Yeah, it's interesting. Um... The, my only issue with that is just that I, I think it sort of devalues what Eovaldi can bring to the table. But on the flip side, you know, we talked so much about the importance of having stability uh, on the team. I want more from Eovaldi, and I think it would be silly for Dombrowski not to get a closer and be able to use Eovaldi in a more important role. Or in a more robust role, I should say. I, I shouldn't even say importance, right? Because we've kind of established that that's an important enough role that even though it's limited innings-wise, it's not actually unimportant because of that. Right. I mean, when we get to the playoffs, it's going to be a reliever anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, and in terms of who they can trade to go out and uh, get guys, I, I don't think you're going to be looking at many... Uh, things from the major league roster unless the Red Sox just continue to fall uh, further in the standings and if they're like six or seven games out of the second wild card spot then you might see some guys get traded and they might be sellers instead Uh, but I think you're gonna see him shopping um, prospects and names that I would expect to be shopped Um, Bobby Dahlbeck's name is always kind of there if Dombrowski is into uh, trading guys at the head of their value, um, maybe even uh, Jaron Duran. I don't want to say that, but it's a possibility. Um, Thaddeus Ward has had a great season. He could be somebody. Um, I don't know. Basically, anybody who's not Tristan Casas is on the table, probably. <laughs> you and Matt, both. See, I there's not one single person in the minors that I would not trade to get better at the major league level. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that I would. If it's the right guy, I would trade Casas. Let's just say that he he's not like um, Bogart's level prospect was, where like you know anybody who calls up asking for him, you just simply hang the phone up. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question, uh, Ben Jacobson. So, are we going to make the playoffs or no? Uh, buyers or sellers? What would it take uh, for the team to become sellers in your mind? Um, first of all, Keaton, do they make the playoffs this year? Yes. And what would it take for them to be sellers for you? An 
absolute free fall. Um, they would have to. What, how many games do we have until the trade deadline? Mm, like twenty, se- several. Yeah, Was it the know. end of July? Right, it's a month yes. away. Uh, it's a, it's about a, exactly a month. Yes, they would have to lose twenty straight games. <laughs> so they will not be sellers. Yeah. Um, I would say if they are around seven back of the second wild card spot, they should consider it. Because I don't I don't like what I've seen this year from this team. And I know that playoffs come and anything can happen, but um I don't know. Just not feeling it. Uh, Dave Latham asks, time to sell? Uh, we already kind of answered that one, so we'll skip that. Thank no. you for the question, Dave. Um, Dan Allison has our next question. He says, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to tell Dombrowski to go get some relievers, man. I don't know. What else should we do, Keaton? What you're going to do is you're going to go to psychologytoday.com. You're going to put in your zip code, and you're going to find yourself a nice therapist. One that specializes in bullpens. And you just have a nice little chat about how to stay sane. Because uh, that's really all you can do at this point. Stay insane in an insane world. Not easy. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from Wahid. And he says, why do the Red Sox suck the bullpen? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, All man. around me are familiar faces. <laughs> Uh, Richard has one that gave me a chuckle. He says, uh, is JJ the Jet a real person? And if so, why is he so inquisitive? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we do get a lot of questions from JJ. And surprisingly, Richard, not this week. He must be on vacation. He or she, I don't really know. Um, maybe JJ the Jet's a computer program. Um, maybe it's like that IBM Deep Blue computer. It's just... Uh, emailing us Red Sox questions or uh, posting them to us on Twitter. I don't know. He does ask a lot of questions. JJ the Jet Rodriguez. Yeah. Uh, Keith Kaito uh, asks us uh, well he doesn't ask. He tells us. Well he kind of does. I don't know. He (laughs) says remember when last year was so amazing. Yeah me too. Um, Yes. Last year was significantly nicer uh, than this this year. Um you know, some some idiot should have started a Daily Red Sox podcast last year instead of this year. That would have been a lot better for my health. Speaking of last year, can Nesson just cut it out with the... <laughs> on this date, last year, the Red Sox beat Baltimore 4-3. to three. And, I mean, is there anything more stupid than that? No, it was one thing when when they would do like an anniversary event of the 04 team and they would be like, yeah, "Yeah, and this year, 10 years ago, this is what the 04 team did. And you're like, oh, all right, that's kind of interesting. But now it's just trolling. They're like two years ago, it was the whatever anniversary of the 67 team. And it's like, okay, that was like a thing. I understand it. It just freaking happened. What the hell? And yeah, it's just rubbing it in our faces about how good last year was and how sad we are. Like, give us some distance, please. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Uh, Next question comes from Daniel O'Brien, and he says, Are the end times coming soon? Of this, Dan, I have no doubt. Not soon enough. Noah Anthony has our last and final question. He says, By what year will we have a decent bullpen? Uh, Keaton, how long is Dave Dombrowski's contract? That's a great question. Um, I think he got an extension, right? Thought he did. I don't know. As long he as Dave's did. here, we'll see. Hopefully, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Do you believe the whole shtick about Dave not being able to build a bullpen? He certainly gave it the old college try here. Yeah. Was I talking to Matt or was I talking to you when I mentioned that? Because he he did legitimately try. With I mean, it's really hard to predict injuries and Tyler Thornburg was coming off of an elite season actually back-to-back elite seasons maybe giving up Shaw and Dubon was a little bit much but he was an elite reliever for consecutive years he tried and then he exploded that that sucks 
Carson Smith was coming off of, he was a 25 year old or 24 year old coming off a season where he ended it the year uh, as an elite reliever and he was the for over the, like the last month had solidified the closers gig uh, for the Mariners so he actually was closing. Uh, I don't even remember what we gave up for that, but it probably wasn't a lot because it's for who Carson. Um, yeah, Carson was Wade Miley and Jonathan Aro, I believe. I'm not upset about that at all. No, and then he exploded. So it's really hard to fault him for making the trades that he did because he did acquire two elite relievers that just exploded, and then it just hasn't gotten any better. Unfortunately, I hate when people I acquire explode. Yeah, not great. Yeah, it's not great. However, you can absolutely criticize him for just not even attempting to acquire anybody this year. Yes, that, that was a problem. Yeah, someone should write an article about that. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for the podcast. We do hope you enjoyed this one, um, and uh, we hope things get better for this team. Um, if you did enjoy it, please go on and subscribe. Uh, wherever you're getting your podcast, wherever you're listening to it, you can subscribe to us. Uh, do whatever's easiest for you. Also, rate and review us. Tell us we're great. Give us a five-star review. We appreciate that. We always uh, also want to encourage you guys to continue to ask questions. Uh, your questions are basically our favorite part of doing this. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at @devjake, and you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at @overthemonster. So thanks so much for joining us uh, for this episode, Keaton. Thank you, and uh, we will be with you next week. Bye.